Hey, should we, um, oh wow, that's quite loud, isn't it? Bring our conversations to a close. I'm just going to pray for us before I speak now. So, Father God, we thank you that we have the chance to be here together this morning. And I just pray that you would take the words that I prepared and that you would speak to people, that your Holy Spirit would just be working through me this morning and that we would all encounter you. Amen. Amen. So today we are finishing this series that we've been following through on the book of Daniel. We've spent the last seven weeks journeying through, looking at the story of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who have been taken from their home and thrown into exile in the, in the place of Babylon. And despite being in this place of exile and immersed in this new culture, these guys did not let the pressures of this new culture, the pressures of this new place, no matter how tempting or scary, pull them from their faith in God. What an encouragement to hear. This has been in sort of stark contrast from the three kings of Babylon that we've, that we've seen, um, two who we've met already, one who we're going to be meeting today. And these guys have seen all these and wonderful things around Daniel and his friends. You know, they've seen them surviving a blazing furnace, determining all these weird, crazy writings on the wall and weird dreams that no one else could understand. And they've seen that this has all been because of their faith in God. And the kings actually acknowledge that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's God is great. But... When the voice of their culture gets loud again, when there's an opportunity for them to sort of self-promote, they choose to forget everything they've seen, choose to forget God's greatness, and they let the voice of the culture and the world lead them. The response of Daniel and his friends and the voice of the kings has been so different in the face of culture. And it's left me asking this question every week. How do I respond? How do I respond to being immersed in a culture that is increasingly dissociated from the way of Jesus? Because today we're living in a culture, aren't we, that's so overwhelmed by the voices of secularism, materialism, consumerism, individualism. These voices are what rule, they're what surround us all the time, and they're becoming louder and louder and louder at an intense speed and they are absolutely impossible to ignore. As these voices surrounded by get louder, they are in stark contrast to the ways of Jesus. As a society, as we become more and more inculcated by them, it's actually become, society has become more and more opposed to Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, it can be so easy to feel ill-equipped, to deal with this opposition that we seem to face. I don't know about you, but when it's so frustrating, when you go to the supermarket and you want to buy something and it's not there. And I think this is particularly frustrating when there's been like news, um, like the media is telling us there's like incoming extreme weather. This week it's been so sunny, hasn't it? And I don't know you, but I've had so many times, not this week, but in the past, where it's been really sunny, and I've just thought, do you know what I fancy today? 
a nice barbecue, what a nice end to the Sunday. Um, so I've gone to the supermarket, gone to look for the sausages and the burgers in the barbecue section, and they are literally empty. Like, everybody in the vicinity has had exactly the same idea. Like, that's what we do as British people. When it's sunny, we have a barbecue. Um, it's gone. You know, I think what can sometimes be even more frustrating is when there's news of snow. Like, I mean, can anybody here remember a time when we've been snowed in? I literally don't think it happens in this country. But when the news comes that snow's coming, we panic, we run to the supermarket, we stockpile everything because we think, oh, I might not be able to get to the shop tomorrow. It's so frustrating. It's because as people, we like to be prepared. We don't want to end up in a situation where we need something and we can't have access to it. So as we begin today, the question that I want to ask each of us is this. Are we prepared? Are we prepared? As followers of Jesus, who are immersed in a culture which is turning from him, are we prepared to stand firm for him, even when others oppose us? Are we prepared? Let's jump into our passage for today. We are in Daniel chapter 6. I think the words are going to come up on the screen, um, but I will read it for us, starting at verse 1. So it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal ministers Prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edit and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue this decree and put it in writing so it can be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So Darius put the decree in writing. So what we're seeing here is that the king is um, putting these sort of high-profile officials over his kingdom to help him govern. So there's 120 called satraps, but officials who are over them. Um, and Daniel is one of these guys, and basically he best. He is excelling. He is doing a better job than all of the others. And the king is so pleased with the job that he's doing that he wants to give him power over the whole kingdom. And basically, what's happening is that no one else is very happy about this at all. We're seeing a bunch of envious people who just 
want a bit of Daniel's success. They want the favor. They want the power. They want the glory. And they don't like because he's got what they want. So they decide they want to kind of come up with this plan to basically get Daniel out of the way so they're able to get more for themselves. And they try all the conventional methods, like look at the normal ways you might be able to get someone in trouble in the land of Babylon, and that doesn't work. So they have to kind of think outside the box, and they know that the one thing that Daniel, that means more to Daniel than anything else, is his God. And they know if they kind of incorporate him into that plan that they will be able to catch him out. So they spin the story to the king, kind of playing into his pride, telling him, come on, let's get everyone to just worship you for 30 days. And the king gives in to this peer pressure and creates this decree so that they can only, people can only worship him for 30 days. So we pick back up at verse 10, which says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree saying did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone to any god or human being except to you your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den and the king answered the decree stands in accordance with the law of the medes and persians which cannot be repealed then they said to the king daniel who is one of the exiles from judah pays no attention to you your majesty or to the decree you put in writing he still prays three times a day when the king heard this he was greatly distressed he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edit that the king issues can be changed. The king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So Daniel, he hears about this law, he hears about um, this thing that's been put in place, he knows that legally he is no longer allowed to worship God. And what does he do differently? Nothing. He does nothing differently. He continues on doing what he's always done, despite this huge fear, despite intense opposition, he continues to spend regular time in prayer to God, like he has done every day. And because of this, the officials are able to get him arrested, think they've won, they think Daniel's out of the picture, they throw him in the lion's den. And I'm sure many of you will know that the story goes on to say that actually, because of Daniel's faithfulness, because of his steadfastness in God, God saves him and he is, uh, gets no harm. But I don't know about you, but I would love to be a bit more like Daniel. I mean, seriously, what a great guy. He is so steadfast. He is so strong in God, despite this intense fear. And I am pretty sure that if I was in the same situation, I would not have responded 
in the same way. I mean, I would have at least prayed quietly in my room where no one could see me. I mean, he just carried on. So what can we learn from Daniel today? Daniel was rooted and established in practices which centered him on God. Say that again. Daniel was rooted and established in practices which centered him on God. He has long-standing daily rhythms of life that he actively makes a decision to engage with every single day. It's not by accident. These are purposeful practices. What these practices do is they anchor him. They anchor him. So when things get tough, when he's opposed, he has the strength that he needs. I'm sure some of you will remember back in January, Will took us through a little mini-series talking about our vision and values of us here at Redlands. And our vision and values are kind of what defines us as a community. They're what holds us true to who we are. And um, as part of that, we've got a strategy, which is four words that we use to kind of help us hold true to that vision and values. It's like, how do we how do we that vision and values amongst us. And one of those words that we feel is central to that is pattern. Like the example of Daniel, we really want to encourage people to be building into their lives these regular rhythms which center us on Jesus. Why? Why do we want that? Because like we see, the world that we are living in is volatile. It is changing at speed. It has this incredibly loud voice. And as apprentices to Jesus, we need that anchor. Like Daniel had, we need to anchor ourselves in him to stop ourselves being swept up by the storm. And what regular and consistent patterns of living do is root us firmly in Jesus and bring us the steadiness that we need. Now, there are loads and loads of different practices, spiritual disciplines, all these things which we can kind of incorporate into our lives, which will all kind of lead us in the same direction. But what I want to do this morning is focus on just one, which is the practice that we see Daniel carrying out in our passage today. And that is the day office. Now, until quite recently, I had literally never even heard the phrase the I'm not sure if others are the same. When I first heard it, I was like, this sounds very strange. Sounds like I'm going to work. Like, what's it about? It's a little bit weird. So what is the daily office? The daily office is setting regular times throughout the day to be with Jesus. Setting regular times throughout the day to be with Jesus. It's not what many of us might call a time of devotion or kind of a quiet time where we might spend a long time sort of reading through scripture and really thinking about grappling with it or uh, intercessory. Now, all those things are super important. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that you shouldn't be doing those things. They're all vital walks with Jesus, but they are not what the daily office is. The daily office is about becoming aware of God's presence with us. It's about stopping and welcoming his spirit into our day. You know, we're so busy, aren't we? There's so much 
going on around us. We have so many distractions. And what the daily office does is gives us opportunities in our day to recenter ourselves on Jesus. So when see when we're distracted to draw our attention back to him, to remind us that we are dependent on him, that no matter what is going on, we have an opportunity to surrender everything we're doing back to him. And this can take many forms. You know, you can, there's lots of apps out there that you can use that kind of take you through these guided prayers. I think we've mentioned Lectio 365 in our services before. That's a really helpful one, which I use sometimes. You could sort of meditate on a passage of scripture, sort of read it over and over and let God's presence sort of permeate through. You could listen to a song. You can spend just a couple of moments in silence. It really doesn't matter what you do. What matters is that you stop. You put your distractions down, no matter how busy you are, and you focus your mind on his presence, making space for him in what you're doing. And the idea is that we do this at numerous points throughout the day. Um, You know, that's going to look different for all of us. The length of time you do, the amount of time you do, isn't what's important. You know, we see in Daniel that he stops three times a day. If you look at sort of certain monastic traditions, they'll stop seven times a day. It might be that all that you can manage is two minutes twice a day. It really doesn't matter. But what does matter is about making those patterns consistent. It's about trying to do it at the same time every day so it becomes this regular rhythm. You're sort of embedding it into your routine. So that thing, not or how long, but consistency. I totally get that this is not easy. Like, I can tell you, I'm someone who absolutely loves routine. Like, when I have routine in my life, I'm thriving. It's really, really good for me. But actually embedding it into my life, I find seriously, seriously hard. Like, I've got all the intentions, but not the follow-through very often. You know, I get very distracted. Something will be happening, and I'll be like, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. It'll happen tomorrow. And then what happens is it doesn't happen. It's really hard to embed these things into our lives. And I was actually really interested to find out that in order to get to make a habit, you actually have to do something over 50 times. That's actually quite a lot, isn't it? That's not like once or twice. So if we expect integrating the daily office into our life will be easy or just it will happen because we want it to, it's not going to. however good our intentions are, to ingrain these deep patterns takes a long time. It's like learning a new skill. You know, if you were to pick up a violin and just expect to be playing a grade eight piece, you'd be very much disappointed. Like that takes time. It takes years and years of hard work, of patience, endurance, commitment. And that's why this is called spiritual discipline, because it's hard. You might be sat there thinking, this just sounds like a lot of hard work to me. Like, what is the point of this? What difference is this going to make to my life? And the thing is, as we do it, as we practice the daily office consistently, what will happen is over time, our brains, our bodies, and our emotions will become increasingly in tune with the presence of God. This is the important thing. It won't just be when we practice.
practice the daily office, it will actually begin to permeate through into other areas of our life. So at other points in the day, we will be so much more aware of God's presence because we are so much more familiar with it. There'll be this ease, this familiarity, like being with Jesus will be so much more natural because we've actively engaged with learning what it is, what it feels like. And over time, we will begin to eliminate this sort of secular, sacred divide which we have in our lives. Like I said, I can 100% tell you that I am on a journey with this. I am not someone to look at and think she's got it all sorted in any way at all. But what I can tell you is over the last kind of couple of months, this is something that I've started to try and embed in my life, a practice that I've started to engage with. And though I'm not the finished article in any way, what I can tell you is that it is 100% worth it. Like the, the, the joy of God's presence of letting him come and spend time with us is one of real joy. This is a slow work, but it is one of real and deep beauty. Guys, we know that storms are coming. There's, there's no doubt about it. There, the opposition is going to come. We are going to face it. The culture that we live in is going to continue to swirl around us in this ferocious way. And we cannot run. We cannot hide. So let's think back to that question that I asked at the start this morning. Are we prepared? Are we preparing ourselves for the reality of what living in in the UK in 2022 is like? Let's not be like the kings who give in to that weight of culture. Let's be like Daniel. Let's root ourselves in these practices and rhythms of life that will enable us to build our lives so firmly on the rock of Jesus that when we are faced with the opposition, we remain unshaken. We remain steadfast. Let's not be shaped by culture. Let's be shaped by Jesus. Should we stand?